Welcome to this episode of On The Move, a podcast about missions, international ministry, and really just about how God is on the move in His world, changing lives. I'm really excited to welcome to this episode of the podcast my husband and my partner in ministry, Steve White. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. I'm really excited, too. I should say, in full disclosure, if anyone is seeing any video from our recording today, uh, we are on different screens and obviously in different rooms. Uh, We are both at our home in Florida It's just that for the sake of a clean recording, we opted to both be on our own devices and uh, record this episode, which is a little maybe odd, but I mean, isn't technology amazing? I can't keep up with it, but yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Steve, the reason I wanted to talk to you today specifically is because last week you were in Panama at the G Pro Congress 2. Mm-hmm. So I want to just start by you telling us what that what that is. That name is kind of a mouthful, what that stands for, uh, and what the purpose of that event was in Panama. Yeah, it was an awesome event. G Pro stands for Global Proclamation. Uh, and this comes out of a ministry from Dr. Ramesh Richard, who is a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he's, he's created this ministry that has recognized the rapidly growing Christian church in the world and is looking for ways to continue to, to bring health to that church around the world. So that's the basis for this. The Congress part then, Global Proclamation Congress, was that this was a gathering of about 500 uh, leaders from around the world who are focused on training pastors. Uh, and so the the idea was this was not a conference where we just came to be lectured at. It was a congress where this group of leaders came together uh, to share ideas, to brainstorm, to share best practices, share resources, and further the cause of training pastors. That's really great. So as you think about the week, you guys were together for a full mm-hmm. week in Panama and f- over 500 leaders from around the world. So what are some of the highlights that come to mind for you? One of the first things that that happened was the discussion of the urgency of what's happening. Hmm. Statistics were part of the conversation. The world population is now over 8 billion people, 600 million of them consider themselves evangelical. 2.5 billion associate with some form of Christianity around the world. And so one of the things that's happening is the church, those who follow Christ, the church is growing so rapidly that traditional models of training pastors around the world are simply not able to keep up with it. So part of this whole Congress was trying to keep up with the urgency of what's going on around the world. And not only did that include just numbers, but it also had to do with world situation, wars and and persecution and all of that stuff that is is just making it more and more critical and, like I said, urgent that something get done really quickly. So it kind of started there. So thinking about that urgency and the need for training pastors, I'm assuming and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that there was representatives from all of the different styles Mm -hmm. of training. There would have been people that do formal training for pastors. There would have been 
uh, people that focus on non-formal training, like what our organization, 21C, does. Did every group share that same sense of the need and the urgency? What were you hearing from maybe some of the some of the models that are not like ours, mm-hmm. maybe the people that do the more formal tr- side of it? What were some of the some of the things that they were uh, sharing or or observing? One of the cool things about this particular Congress was that was the intentionality of bringing together those different modes of of training. So the formal, which is more structured Bible colleges, seminaries, um, even some of the online degree programs, things like that, where there's a, a high level of structure and formality to it. That part of it, uh, along with what's called non-formal, what, what we focus on, where there's not a degree, the, the, the intent, the systematic and structure is less than would be necessary for a degree. Uh, and then the informal, which was getting kind of a, renewed sense of of significance here informal is things like mentoring and so part of this was all three of those groups the leaders from seminaries and the leaders from uh, mentoring programs as well as all of the leaders from these non-formal training systems all three coming together realizing no one of those models is going to do everything that's needed it's going to take all three modes of training working collaboratively to do what needs to be done in the Christian church with its leaders. So let's talk a little bit about that. What is the status quo in the world? What is the status quo for for the growth of the church and the need for pastors that means that that one form of training, one of the three modes isn't sufficient right. that all three are needed? What's what's going on there? Well, a part of it is simply goes back to the urgency. The The church is growing right now at the rate around the world of about 50,000 people a day coming to Christ. On average, there's a church for every 50 people, which means that's a thousand new church leaders at least every day. And what we've relied on historically has been what we in the U.S. or in the West think of as pastor training, a formal degree, a Bible college, a seminary, something that results in a degreed, structured, systematic program. What is happening around the world is as the church is growing so rapidly, traditional models, the the formal style of training just simply is not able to keep pace. And a lot of the pastors that are starting these churches around the world don't have access to that kind of formalized training anyway, uh, largely, there's a variety of reasons, largely because they simply don't have the educational background, a third or fourth grade reading level, for example. So they wouldn't be able to succeed in an academic setting anyway. So the combination of formal training, which allows someone to kind of separate from the world that they're in, so to speak, focus for a a period of time, two or three years maybe, on just learning and thinking and becoming biblically literate and learning how to think critically about how to lead and how to apply the Bible. That's a huge thing that continues to be, uh, that continues to be needed everywhere, the scale of what's happening needs non-formal training. It needs what can be done very rapidly in its cultural context with these 
thousands and thousands and thousands of pastors all over the world who probably will never get to formal training. And then on top of that, or maybe underlying that, depending on which way you're approaching it, mentoring this non, uh, the, the informal where it's not just about learning. It's also about developing character and accountability and all the things that, that don't really happen in a structured program, formal or non-formal. So all three of those, the, the deep, uh, systematic training that comes with formal training, the, the rapid, contextualized training that that is better done with non-formal programs and then the character building and accountability that happens very slowly with individualized relationships and the informal side of things. All three of those things have to work together. So as you think about the week again, you mentioned one highlight for you uh, was this sense of urgency and this mm-hmm. collective, uh, I guess, maybe unity around that idea. What was another uh, highlight of the week for you? It was almost the the other side of that. Because of that urgency, people are waking up to it. And not that they were really sleeping before, just there's there is a renewed sense of urgency. And so thus five hundred organizational leaders, some representing small uh, mentoring programs, others representing um, alliances of seminaries, others representing anywhere from small to massive non-formal programs, everybody coming together, realizing we're going to do this together and setting high goals about not only collaboration, but about what exactly is going to be achieved. The the tens of thousands of leaders that will be receiving better training and will be improved as pastors because all of those people were coming together. So that was kind of cool just to see the room filled with people who were there to meet the challenge. So something that you mentioned to me towards the end of the week was that uh, Global Proclamation has as as a verse that kind of undergirds their ministry, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, which is Jesus' great commission, where he tells his disciples to go into the whole world and preach the gospel and make disciples. I really love the fact that that was an emphasis for your time together as as trainers, trainers of pastors, because I think sometimes that verse is only used in an evangelistic application, right? We talk about the need to go and and preach the gospel, share the good news of Jesus, but that's not in some ways, I don't think, maybe the whole thrust of what Jesus was saying, because he he instructs his, his disciples to make disciples. So what what from the week kind of touched on that element of what we know as the Great Commission that is, yes, seeing people come to Christ, but then discipling them and helping them to grow in their faith? So how did how did things from this week touch on that element of the Great Commission? Well, I think you kind of touched on it already just a little bit, it, particularly in the West, but just about everywhere, we've sort of seen the Great Commission as go get people saved and then move on and get more people saved. There's truth to that. We're supposed to go. We're supposed to make disciples. Obviously, the first part of making a disciple, baptizing, we bring people into the opportunity where they can put their faith in Christ. We baptize as a statement that, in fact, these are people who have committed their lives to Christ. But then often we forget that the commission continues 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so what, what is happening around the world right now is the church planting and evangelism are strong. Uh, people understand the gospel in its basic form. They go, they share Christ and a church is planted, but then there's not a lot of follow up. This was a secondary quote. One of the guys that I was talking to, I think he was from India, but I can't remember for sure, said he was talking to a pastor and the pastor said, we know we're supposed to feed the sheep. We have nothing to give them. Hmm. And that reflects a lot of what's going on in the world regarding this great commission. People have come to Christ. They've come together in a local body, a church. The pastors have been called and they've taken responsibility and then they have nothing to give them because they have so little background, so little training. And so the, uh, the idea with training pastors, the whole point of this uh, G-Pro Congress was that the health of the church is predicated on the health of its leaders. If the, if the pastor the, or uh, whatever the leader is, if the pastor does not have anything to feed the sheep, then we're going to have hundreds of millions of people around the world who are never able to rise to the level of maturity and the level of service that God calls them to simply because the pastors have no way to get them there. So that's kind of where Matthew 28 fit into the whole G Pro Congress idea. Which is, there is such an, when I just stop and think about that statement, what you've just said about, about so many believers that yes, They'll be part of churches, they'll have faith in Christ, but they won't be able to really undergo the transformation that we know Jesus wants us all mm-hmm. to to encounter, right? To go through when we place our faith in him. It's that's that's not all there is to saving faith. It's a life in Christ and a maturing in Christ. And and so there is the sense of that urgency. What are some of the dangers for the global church? when there isn't that uh, discipleship that comes along behind the evangelism? What are, what are some of the things that people are seeing are dangers? I think that the, the biggest thing that, that we talked about at the Congress and that I've seen is simply immaturity. It's people who love the Lord. They're, they put their faith in Christ and it sort of stops there. There's no growth. There's no way for them to grow. There's, they don't know how to grow. Then, of course, on the other end of the spectrum is heresy, false teaching, confused beliefs, uh, misunderstanding about the Bible. One of the things that tends to draw attention is the extreme stories. There's a, uh, in the news over the last couple of years, there's a story coming out of uh, Southern Kenya, a pastor by the name of Mackenzie. Again, extreme case, but he taught his large congregation that they should starve themselves and their families to death so that they could see Jesus faster. And so hundreds of bodies have been exhumed from these mass graves because his people did that. Again, extreme case. And he obviously, based on reports that I've read, his he obviously was doing some of this maliciously. It wasn't just mistaken teaching. It was intentional misleading people. But the rise of misunderstanding and false teaching and mis- and just a lack of depth, that's really what's happening around the world. They just don't have any way to grow deeper in their faith. So they stay at a very uninformed and shallow level. Would it be fair to say that that, that 
that lack of depth is not is not from a lack of desire from people to to grow deeper and closer to Christ. It's it's from the lack of the leadership that can take them to yep. that deeper. Would that be a fair a fair statement to make? Oh yeah, one of the things that we've seen in our own ministry, but that was a consistent story with with dozens of of leaders that I spoke to. We can't provide training opportunities fast enough. Uh, pastors around the world flock to it. They'll travel for days to get to what where they can find some kind of training. They're serious about their faith. They're serious about their call. The urgency is there, and the pastors feel that same sense of urgency. They want to be able to feed their sheep. It is the thing that that I I have said that you have said that is a just a true statement for us is that people are repeatedly asking us to come and bring training mm-hmm. to their location and yeah. and the recognition of it it's kind of an amazing thing when you get an email from someone and they say I we need your help because I'm I work with a network of you know 40 pastors and they're biblically illiterate mm-hmm. And that they can diagnose that that they themselves can diagnose the yeah. need, and yet they they need help to meet the need. It's yeah. because they don't have the the skills and the training themselves to provide what their what their networked pastors and and church leaders need in the world today. So yeah, exactly. So again, going back to this sense of urgency and and the quantity of leaders that were at the GPRO Congress, what were some other takeaways that you took from the people that gave up? I mean, in your case, you know, Florida to Panama, yeah, right. it was a long day of travel, but you didn't need a visa. Right. You were in the same time zone. Really, all things considered for you to go to another country, this was about as easy as it gets. Yeah. For so many of the pastors that were there, they underwent expensive and Mm -hmm. complicated visa arrangements, Mm -hmm. uh, more complicated travel arrangements. It was really a sacrifice for them to get themselves to Panama to participate in this. So what, what are some of your big takeaways from some of those people, the ones that maybe sacrificed the most to be there, that it was, it took such a great effort for them to get themselves to the Congress that what did you, what did you see from them, from their sense of, of the need for it, um, from their desire to be a part of it? What were some of, what are some of the takeaways with that? That's a really good question. I think one of the things that stuck out to me was how many people could not get to the Congress. Hmm. Uh, We got, I heard of dozens of of leaders from around the world who couldn't get their visas fast enough or were turned down for their visa or got their visa so late they couldn't afford to buy the plane ticket. We had uh, we had two leaders that I'm personally familiar with, a friend in Uganda and a friend in Kenya who had intended to be there by the time their visas had cleared it was too late for them to buy a plane ticket to get there. Um, and it was just a reminder that, that much like the pastors are hungry for their personal growth and discipleship and their ability to, to, to be good pastors, the leaders who are training the pastors are equally excited and passionate about growing and about networking and about finding the best ways 
to help train pastors. One of the cool things about this this particular Congress was how many conversations there were. I mean, that was part of the Congress was to put people together. On one of the very first days we were there, we were just led into the large room where the 500 of us gathered at round tables for the for the general sessions. And we all just wandered to a table. There was no particular assigning or structure to it. We just sat down. And then we discovered the table we sat at was going to be our discussion table every morning for the rest of the week. And I sat at a table that had pastor had ministry leaders from Romania, China, Chile, the U.S., and Canada. Our, our the the leader of our discussion table was a pastor from Sri Lanka, uh, and his statement I think kind of characterized why so many people were there, especially people like like Nero, the, the guy from uh, Sri Lanka. He said, we feel like there's a small window of opportunity. We can't sacrifice the quality of the training, but we have to quicken the quantity. Uh, again, mm. back to reflecting, there's a whole lot of work to be done and not a lot of time to do it. And we really need to find the best ways, which is what brought all of those, all of those leaders from those disciplines together in one place to see how best to go out to go about training pastors. So I love that comment by Nero so much that we cannot sacrifice quality, mm-hmm. but we must quicken the quantity. And I would imagine in a room filled with 500 leaders from around the world that that were there sacrificing time, energy, finances to be there there was that that heightened sense of urgency mm-hmm. that that the quantity that that's something that has to be unlocked almost the the method and the means of how to train pastors at a greater scale right so again as you think about the week and as you think about your interactions with various leaders what are some of the other stories or ministries that stick out at you, some of the things that people said to you, um, like that comment from Nero mm-hmm. that you said could have really been the theme for the whole week. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the interactions that you had with leaders from around the world this week that really would make the highlight reel for you of the week? One of the things that that pops into mind is, is the realization that around the world, the global South, uh, the church is growing fairly rapidly in the entire global South. Uh, met with pastors from places like Kenya, where it's it's that there's freedom of religion and the church is growing at a phenomenal pace. Also met with pastors from India, where persecution is increasing dramatically, uh, and met uh, a pastor. He was at my discussion table who pastors underground churches and trains underground uh, church pastors in China, where Christianity in that form is not even legal. To see that that God is moving in all of these places at, at a phenomenal pace was partly intimidating, partly encouraging, partly raised, again, the word I keep coming back to is urgency, that this is a big task and it feels like there's a small window. One of the pastors uh, that I talked to from India said, that persecution, I asked him specifically how it was going and how 
how how he perceived the the climate of Christianity and Christian growth in India. And he said, well, per- persecution in India will increase, and it's already getting pretty bad. Uh, he said, but we're Christians, so we'll go through it. No problem. Hmm. That's the way the church started. Hmm. So that that was kind of cool just to see partly the church growing at at, at a, a staggering pace in India and just the sense of absolute commitment. Persecution will continue, but that's okay. We'll just get through it because, well, that's the way the church started anyway. And it didn't seem to him to be strange or unusual or unexpected or or even really some kind of a massive obstacle, no problem. We'll get through it. That's what we do. That was kind of cool coming out of India. Uh, the the pastor in China talked about the fact that communicating with us as our as we follow up to the Congress now, as conversations between all these organizations continue, the, the pastor in China said, well, I have to use a VPN so that I can communicate with anybody. It's not legal. It could get me in trouble, but that's okay. Again, same kind of this must happen and it's just part of the way it works. There was no, I'm worried. There was no, uh, how do we get past it or this will hurt the church? It was simply, this is the way church works and I could get in trouble for this, but that's okay. So it was, it was kind of exciting to see and interact with the pastors who are going through that and to help understand a little bit better just what's happening in the church around the world. It almost feels like a next level in terms of the the ministry challenges mm-hmm. and maybe even the faith required. And I know that that's not probably a true statement, but from my chair sitting in my little South Florida uh, comfortable location, it does feel like the people that are like this pastor from China mm-hmm. who would say that, you know, he needed to create a, a hidden network to communicate with people and that that's not legal and it could get him in trouble, but that's okay. That's just a statement of faith that I think many of us can really only imagine that we could ever aspire to have in our lives, in mm-hmm. our comfortable lives that we live. And and maybe that's the the thing that I know we both take away from our interactions with international pastors on a regular basis is the sacrifice that they really do make on a daily basis to pursue the calling that God has placed on their mm-hmm. lives. And it's a it's a challenging and also an encouraging a thing to to get to witness and and maybe be a small part of. So any other any other uh, highlights from the week? Any other elements that are things that you are going to hang up and we're going to hang up and you're going to think, oh, I wish she had asked me about. One great ongoing conversation I had was with a guy named Will who does pastor training in Chile. He's got a, a fun mix of formal and non-formal and informal based on the needs of the people that he's training. But one of the things that was a, that brought that to mind as part of what I take away from this GPRO Congress was he doesn't just visit a city and have pastors come to him. He goes there. And so he talked about a two-day uh, boat ride followed by a 
three-hour walk in the rain to get to this remote village uh, where there's a pastor that years ago went and planted a church with zero training, zero backup, zero strategy. And for years, nobody even knew he was there. So he was completely on his own as a pastor out in the middle of, you know, a little island off the coast of Chile. Hmm. And that's one of the cool things about what's going on right now with training pastors is we collectively, the church, has realized the critical nature of actually having pastors who know what they're doing. They understand scripture. They can uh, they can use scripture effectively and they understand leadership from a biblical perspective. So whether it is the really big seminary that spawns continuing education centers or somebody like Will, who all on his own makes the trek out into an extremely rural area so that he can spend time with a pastor who's all by himself. It was really cool to watch the church rise to the challenge of what's happening in our world right now. To rise to the challenge of what's of what's happening in our world right now. That is maybe that should be the tagline <laughs> for for the Congress, right? Yeah. That that's that that that's really I mean because what is happening in our world is, and you mentioned this already, yes, there's strife. Yes, there are wars. But yes, there is also this explosion of the gospel in the global south, especially. Mm-hmm. And and this responsiveness that people are having to hearing the gospel, which then creates this domino effect of the need for pastors to receive training so that they can shepherd their congregations with integrity and with um, skill and with with biblical excellence. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what an encouraging what an encouraging thing to know that we're not just one all on our own and trying to figure this out, but that we are part of a larger, a larger collective. We're part of the the greater body of Christ mm-hmm. seeking to meet the needs for pastors in the global South, especially. And I think uh, for me, maybe my takeaway from, from what you've shared today is just a real, a sense of hope that, that, God is on the move in the global South, and yeah. He is on the move in raising up and in empowering training to happen for pastors in in ways that maybe even we haven't fully figured out yet. I, I mean, some of the things that, you know, I, I love hearing like the mixture of, you know, we tried this and we're going to add in a little bit of this. And I don't know, it's just exciting to me to think, that the need is there, but there are people standing in the gap looking to meet the need yeah. and and to not just leave these pastors on their own. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that we're not just gonna say, oh yeah, just keep just keep sharing the gospel and keep having, you know, these, you know, Christians that need to be discipled and there's no one to do it for them, but that the church is stepping in to meet that need as well. Yes, we share the gospel, but we also disciple people that come to faith in Christ and teach them to obey all that Christ commanded. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for, uh, 
the encouragement of hearing what happened at the GPRO Congress and the need to increase the quantity of training for pastors around the world, even though um, we don't want to sacrifice the quality of that training. And so I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us today. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation about your takeaways from the GPRO Congress 2 that you were at last week. So thanks, Steve. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of On The Move by 21C International. 21C International is a Christian nonprofit organization on a mission to encourage, equip, and empower Christian pastors in the global South by providing free, informal biblical and pastoral training. You can visit 21C International to learn more and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform to hear more about missions, international ministry, and how God is changing lives around the world.